0: Listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Well, good morning. It is—it's uh, really good to be here. Like Melvin said, I flew in uh, late last night. So, if you've ever sat in church wondering if the, pre- the preacher will be done in time for you to get to lunch, we will. It's an hour and a half past my lunch already. So, I'm still a little—I haven't caught up to. West Coast time. So I'm glad to be here. Um, I did leave uh, three family, three kids at home, my wife, and I have a a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and a seven-month-old, and I should really learn their names. But um, I love them dearly, and uh, I'm glad to be here to open God's Word with you. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to Luke uh, chapter 7, verse 47, is where we're going to spend most of our time, now the whole passage as you flip there will probably be one if you've been reading your Bible very long or if you've been in Christ or going to church for very long, you'll, you'll kind of be familiar with this passage, but I believe there's some great truth here for us this morning and so um, I'm going to open up with just reading uh, the first few verses and then uh, we'll pray and then we'll get into the rest of it. So uh, Luke 7, we'll start reading at verse 36 and uh, here's what it says. One of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, the woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she uh, is a sinner. Let me, let me pray. Would you bow your heads with me? God and Heavenly Father, I thank you for gathering us here uh, this morning, I thank you for bringing us here right now, Lord, to open your word. I thank you for uh, giving us your word that we may learn about you and your glory and your love, your love that you poured out for us while we were yet sinners. You sent your son, Jesus, to die for us. Uh, God, I thank you for your son, and I pray, Lord, that right now that you would, starting in my heart and in the hearts of these people, Lord, you would increase our love and our thankfulness for your son, Jesus, God, I pray that we would see our desperate need for you in a greater way, Lord. Our ongoing, continual dependence on you, Lord, would be something that we um, take joy in knowing, Lord. You satisfy and you care for us, Lord. And so would you uh, change our hearts, change our lives, Lord. Show us your glory this morning, God, and would you be exalted, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's uh, look there at the end of verse 39 again. It says... When the Pharisee had invited him, uh, said some things to himself. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this. I've done this uh, the right way and the wrong way a couple times, where you're thinking something and it actually comes out of your mouth and then you regret it later. Uh, The Pharisee had enough uh, wherewithal to not say it, but he was thinking it in his head, right? We've done this, right? And you're like, it's a good thing no one heard that or they'd be pretty upset with me right now. And So he's thinking these things in his head, and Jesus responds to them in verse 40. And it says, and Jesus answering him, said to him, which is pretty wild, all right? We need to kind of live in this. It's pretty extreme. If you were thinking something, you know, oh, that person's crazy. I can't believe they invited me to their house and they're cooking me the same meal. They always cook me every time I come over to their house. And then they turn to you and go, oh, would you like something different? You'd be like, uh, no, no, I'm great with lasagna for the 12th time. Yeah, let's do this. Now, so Jesus says this to him. um, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had Jesus at my house, and he took me aside and said, Carl, I have something to say to you. I'd probably be like, hold on while I get a pen and paper. I want to write down every word you're about to say. I never want to forget this message that you have for me. Anybody else be like that? You'd want to know exactly what Jesus had for you. Okay, well, what's happening here is they're all sitting around, and they kind of when they would eat back then, they would kind of lay down, and they'd be around a table. I'm on the wrong side. i got my microphone here. I'll do it. I'm going to switch. So you'd lay kind of like this. And the table would be here, and you'd kind of like reach off the table and get food. And so they'd be all kind of around, and their feet are sticking out. And that's why the woman could come to Jesus' feet. It wasn't like she crawled under the table and got to his feet. His feet were kind of sticking out the side. Now, Jesus says to Simon, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now, he answers, say it, teacher. And I don't believe he said, say it, teacher, like you or I would probably be like, say it, teacher, please. Like, I want to hear. He probably kind of looked around at the rest of the table at his friends and rolled his eyes at the ridiculousness that he thought of the situation with this woman at Jesus' feet and said, say it, teacher, you know, kind of like, go ahead, whatever you're going to do. Like, we've already caused a huge scene with this woman coming into my house and weeping over your feet. So Jesus says this to him, verse 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Comparison's kind of like a car payment versus paying off your mortgage, okay? When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? So he's asking Simon this question. and Simon answered him, the one I suppose. And I love that Luke puts that in there because he knew that Simon was probably a little suspicious of this. What's this Jesus guy trying to do right now? What's he, is he trying to trick me or something? The one I suppose for whom he ca- canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman. Now again, you've got to live in the text. Jesus says, Do you see this woman? And now I kind of almost laugh every time I read that because I'm like, yes, everyone saw this woman, all right? This is as extreme as if someone came into your house and you were having a dinner party, climbed under the table, took your socks and shoes off, was crying over your feet, wiping your feet with your... Everyone in the room would be kind of like, what is going on? It was so strange and nothing had been really addressed about this woman yet. And even at this point, Jesus hasn't even addressed her. And he's addressing Simon. He says, Do you see this woman? Yeah, yeah, everybody sees her, Jesus. I entered your house, he says. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Now here's our key verse Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Um, Here we meet And I believe that there are many people like this in this room and people around the world and across our country. A part of this group I like to call the forgiven much. This woman understood that she was forgiven much. And if you are in Christ, if your faith is in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, whether you think it's much or not, you've been forgiven much. And this woman understood in a way like not many other people at that time understood that she was forgiven much. And so what we're going to do in verse 47 there is we're going to look at both Simon and the woman. We're going to look at Simon first because... Jesus addresses him first. Now, if you've been reading your Bible lots, you'll be like, well, didn't this passage take place in other places in Scripture? Uh, The answer is no. This is the only place that it's found. Jesus did have a woman come in over and cry over his feet and, and anoint him at a guy named Simon's house. Simon was a really common name. That Simon was a leopard. It's a different Simon, okay? This is a very specific story. It's a different one. That was all about the cost of the ointment. This is all about the grace of God and the forgiveness and love of Jesus. And so it's important that we don't miss that here. So Simon, you know, he's a Pharisee. He's the religious leader in town, likely one of the most holy guys. Everyone would kind of look to him. And so Jesus, this traveling evangelist, on his tour, comes to town, he wants to look like a, a, a good godly guy, and so he welcomes him over to his house, he says, you got to come over to my house, you got to come have dinner with me, you know, maybe it was just to keep up appearances, probably, because as we see here, his respect for Jesus was not that high, so he has him come over, and think about it for a second, he's got Jesus at his house for lunch, for dinner, whatever it was, that's amazing to think about, the very gift of God for the forgiveness of sins. Grace incarnate at his table. And he misses it. He doesn't see it at all. In his pharisaical pride and self-righteousness, he thinks that he is somehow good enough in God's standard and in his pride, he rejects this, the gift of grace at his table. And this is our, our first point today, if you like to write down sermon points. The first one is this, uh, pride rejects grace. Pride rejects grace. We see this from from Simon here, totally, he, he does not want to have the grace that God is giving, and so Jesus says in verse 47 at the end, he who is forgiven little loves little. Sadly, uh, he sees his sin not as that big of a problem that he needs um, God's help with, and we do this too. We think that if we just don't do blank, God won't be disappointed with us. We think that good church attendance, praying before meals, absence of certain behavior, and a high standard of morality, among other things, will somehow impress God. And God will be pleased enough with us. It's not true. It's a lie. The only thing that God is pleased with in any of us is the righteousness of Christ that comes into our lives when we put our faith and trust and hope in Jesus Christ. And even that is not something that we produce. That's a thing that God does for us. And I need to hear this word over and over again to stop trying to impress God with my actions and just love him with my life. Stop trying to, in my pride, be a good enough for God, but in my brokenness over my sin, just love him all the more. God, doesn't, God wants our hearts. He doesn't want routine moralism and religious self-righteousness, and that's what Simon was all about. Verse 47 again, it says, therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but he was forgiven loves little. Jesus even draws contrast to Simon and this woman. And he, what he's saying there is, you know, if we were to get out a, a big whiteboard or whatever they had back then, I don't know if they used chalk or coal on the wall, something like that, and, and make checks for every time you sin, Simon, yeah, your list is a lot shorter than this woman who is only described in these two places in Scripture as this sinful woman. Your list is shorter. That's right. You have less outward rebellion before God, but you still have it. And that's the truth for all of us. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, God started and he created us in Genesis 1 in this perfect relationship with him. Genesis 3 comes along. Sin enters in. And by participating in human nature, you have in your genomes of your soul sin. We are are born in sin. And it's only through the grace of God that we can be reconciled. I want you to think about it like this for a second. Maybe this will help you. I'm really like picture I need to Envision things. So imagine it like this. You and God in in Genesis 1, you're created with this perfect connected relationship with God. Think of it like a, a glass staircase. We can all think of that, right? This beautiful glass staircase and it's our connection to God and it's perfect and we have this amazing relationship with him. And what happens is sin comes along and sin's like a big sledgehammer that smashes this relationship into trillions and trillions of tiny little shards of glass. And those are our sin and they hurt They hurt ourselves, they hurt other people that step on them, all over the place. And there's nothing you and I can ever do to put all those little shards of glass back together. And in fact, when we're trying to please God and do enough routine, moral, good things to make God happy with us, all we're really doing is just sweeping up a pile of broken glass into a nice little pile. And for Simon, he's looking at it, and he's like, yeah, but my pile of glass is really small. Like, I've got it really packed in there. You know, the effects of my sin haven't been as far-reaching as this woman's. Her shattered shards of glass are all over the place. The problem is the relationship's still broke, and it's only through Jesus that it's fixed. Pride rejects grace. Simon has the answer at his table, the answer, the only one who can fix this perfect relationship back with God, and he's rejecting it. Now, we do this all the time. Maybe you're thinking, you know, I have never outwardly just been like, no, I don't need Jesus. But we reject help all the time. And in doing that, we're rejecting grace from God. When we reject help, we're rejecting the grace of God. Um, I have a a neighbor who, uh, he's um, a a couple years younger than me, but last winter, uh, we got this huge snowfall. I know here in Kelowna it's just beautiful all the time, right? Except today is like the first cloudy day of the year. But we, we got this huge snowfall, and I had inherited a snowblower, which, if you want to will something to somebody in Ontario, that's a great thing to will to them, all right? They would love you dearly for that. So I had this snowblower, and uh, I, uh, my driveway is connected to this senior couple who lived to with, uh, live beside us. And so we, I blow out my driveway and I blow out their driveway. And I see my neighbor, and he's over here and he's shoveling his driveway, and it's pretty long. And so I thought, you know, I want to be hands and feet of Jesus, right, I want to love my neighbor, this is practical, I can, so I drive my snowblower over there, take it over, and I'm like, hey, Dylan, how's it going, like, can I help you, I know you got to get to work, can I just help you blow out the end of your driveway, or like, I'll blow the whole thing for you if you want, I just want to help you, right, and he's like, no, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm shoveling it, I'm fine, I'm like, are you sure, like, I know your driveway is pretty long, he's like, no, I'm fine, so I'm like, okay, so I drive my snowboard black, put it in the shed. I go inside. You smell like snowblower, so I have a shower. You know, have breakfast with the kids. Go outside, get in my car back into the driveway. Dylan's still over there shoveling snow, and I'm feeling so bad for the guy. It's like, ah, oh, why didn't you just take the help? We do that all the time. Every day that we get up and we leave God's word on the shelf or, the or somewhere that we don't go to it, when He has offered us the help and the counsel that's in it, we're rejecting the grace of God. We're rejecting the help that he has for us. Every day that we start and we don't get on our face and desperately call out to God in prayer saying, please, I need you. I can't do this on my own. He's said, I will listen. Ask, beg, seek, knock. It will be opened. Come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you. He wants us to come to him. And often we reject the grace of God. We reject the help that he has For us. And I want to encourage you this morning to embrace your complete incompetence apart from Jesus Christ embrace your complete need for God and go to him with arms wide open, with a heart wide open, seeking to be filled and sustained and strengthened by our awesome and our powerful God. We can't honor God as employees or parents or spouses or students or children or teammates or friends or even followers of Jesus without him. It can't happen. There's no honor to him in that, in us doing it on our own. Now, often as followers of Jesus, what happens is we say, you know, God, you've taken care of the biggest problem of my sin. Thank you very much. Now, I'm going to try and take care of all the other little problems in life, which is, it's foolish, because he said, I will take care of this big one, and I'm here to help you. I've given you my Holy Spirit to help you through every day of the rest of your life, and we don't lean on him, and we don't go to him like we ought to, and we begin to fail in all sorts of ways, like Simon fails, and and so I wrote down these four things. You can write them down. They're not going to come up on the screen, but these would be pitfalls that happen uh, when we begin to, in pride, reject grace, okay? And here's, here's the first kind of pitfall that we fly, fall into. Uh, we try to live without God. This is ignoring his counsel, ignoring his word, ignoring going to him in prayer. We try and uh, struggle through all of life's difficulties on our own. We think that, you know, we can somehow do it and we will manage. We can't. We can't. And we need, we need God's help. We try life without him second we we lie to ourselves about the severity of sin we just straight up we're like it's it's not that big of a deal yes it is sin is a big deal any and all sin is a big deal sin is what god had to send his son jesus to die on a cross to atone for in my life in your life sin is a massive deal but like Simon, he for sure was lying to himself about, you know, it's not that big of a deal, you know. It is. Our righteousness is not enough. We lie to ourselves about the severity of sin. Sometimes we even begin to think we're kind of in the clear, you know. We look back over the last week and it's like, you know, I haven't, I didn't fall into the same sin patterns that I was two months ago. You know, I'm doing pretty good, you know. Yeah, I haven't been sinning a whole lot. I, you know, God must be pretty happy with me right now. No. We still have sin. And the fourth thing that I wrote down, fourth pitfall that we fall into is that we fail to see our problems. This is what Simon did. He failed to see the problems of his sin. Do you have sin? Do I have sin? Yes. Yes, we do. We do have sin. Now maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't need another message on the gospel. I don't need to hear more about my sin. I'm fine. I'm saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, Galatians 6-7 says, God is not mocked. And if you are sitting here with continued sin in your life that you are not going to God and asking for help with, you're going to continue to struggle in that sin. And he wants you to come and embrace your dependence and embrace your need for him, for his love and for his mercy and have victory in that sin. Don't sit there lying to yourself. And maybe you're sitting there right now and you're like, well, you know what? I don't have a lot. I can't can't really think of anything off the top of my head. In all honesty, I'm not joking. Ask the people you live with. They will very quickly be able to help you come up with a list of things that they know God is not pleased with in your life. Now, I know it sounds kind of funny. You know, you go to your family member and say, you know, what what are the areas of my life that you think God's not really pleased with? It's a helpful thing. James um, talks about this. And uh, I think it's James, James 5. Yeah, James 5 talks about confessing your sin to one another. And it's a great way for you to come alongside someone and say, you know, what are the areas in my life that you're seeing that God is not pleased with, where I'm uh, coming up short in the standard of his glory that he has, and, and people can come alongside and point out things that you didn't even know that you had going on that aren't pleasing to God in your life, and they can speak truth in your life, they can uh, pray for you, you can ask for prayer, this is a really good thing, it's a great practice to do, but it doesn't happen when in our pride we think that we're good, and that we're fine, and everything's great. Essentially there, we're rejecting the grace of God. So if you want to write down one, one word, one point of application for this point, it's just dependence. Dependence. We need a greater dependence on Jesus. We need to stop trying to think we can do it on our own, in our own strength. We do not have enough. We need to embrace our inability, our incapacity, our helplessness, our incapability, any other impossible word that you want to come up with, and daily receive the grace that God has for us. We're going to end this service, this sermon in a few minutes, and we're going to sing the song, Lord, I Need You. And I've been singing this song or playing it every morning for almost two years straight now. And the song says, Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you. And some people say, well, you know, that sounds kind of like depressing that you're just like putting yourself in this place of like, you can't do it. You know, you need to believe in yourself more. No, I don't. I am a disaster. And I need to be reminded that, you know, I can't make it through today on my own. I can't not sin without the help of God. I can't make wise decisions without the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus. And I got to tell you, when you embrace your dependence, it changes the way that you look at this book. Because you don't get up in the morning and think, you know, I need to open God's Word so I can, you know, get my spiritual check mark, and God will be pleased with me because I read His Word today. You get up in the morning and you climb across the room and you grab the book and you open it because you're like, Lord, please feed me with wisdom and knowledge to help me through the day. And you don't sit down and just spout off some prayers to God because, you know, that's the thing that you should do after you read your Bible. But you go on your face, on your knees, sitting somewhere quietly, reverently calling out to God, desperately depending on him because you don't want to reject the grace that he has. You don't want to reject the love and the compassion that he has and he has sent and showed through his son Jesus and he offers you through the gift of his Holy Spirit. You want that. And so it changes your life. But that doesn't happen when we're not dependent on him and when we think in ourselves we can do it. When we begin to, in our pride, reject the grace of God. This is Simon Totally rejecting the grace of God. Now, uh, the woman who we're going to look at next, um, not an overly religious gal. I think we can all agree on that. Um, But she gets this. She understands this. And maybe this is you or has been you. No one needs to tell you uh, that you aren't or weren't right in God's eyes. You carry around the guilt and weight and shame of things that you've done in your life. And i got to tell you, you don't have to carry that anymore. You can leave that at the cross this morning you can come before God and confess those things and Jesus has atoned for those if you put your faith and trust in him and this woman understood the work of Jesus on her behalf she understood the seriousness of sin and the magnitude and the enormity of what Jesus had offered her no one loves Jesus who doesn't think they need him this woman understands that we got this quote yeah no one loves Jesus who doesn't think they need him we all need him I love that. I came across this when I was studying this, and I just I wanted it in my mind over and over again. I need him. 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 This woman, she gets it. She gets it that she needs him. She's looking at the Pharisee and all these other like righteous and quote-unquote holy people around and thinking, you know, they've done all these good things. God must be pleased with them. I've done so much wrong. How could God ever be pleased with me? You're right, honey. He can't be. Not on your own works, but he's not pleased with them either. It's only through the work of Jesus Christ that God is pleased with any of us. It's only through the work of Jesus on the cross atoning for our sin. Christianity, salvation in Jesus Christ is not about what you do for him. It's about what he did for you. Yes, then your life is a response, this changed heart of I love him and I don't want to go back to those things because I know he died on the cross for those things. But it's not a trying to please him to get that forgiveness. It's a thankfulness. And in this woman's life, we see she's broken over her sin, but I don't believe she's broken and crying and weeping over Jesus' feet, just feeling bad about her sin. I believe she's also weeping and crying because she's so thankful for the work of Jesus. And so this is point number two this morning. Brokenness loves grace. Brokenness loves grace. This woman has received the gift of God, the gift of salvation, and she loves it. A question that I've always had was, well, when did this woman get saved? Like, when was the moment that she you know, came into the kingdom? This, this scene here in, in Luke 7 is a scene of her pouring out her love from her brokenness over her sin and of thankfulness for her Savior. And if you're a, a grammatical person, um, in verse 47 when Jesus says her sins are forgiven, that's a perfect tense thing, which is meaning she's already in a state of forgiveness. It's already happened. So when did that happen? I don't know, but it happened before this scene. In my mind, I like to you know, try and figure out, well, well, when could it have been? If you look earlier in Luke uh, chapter 7 at verse 18, it says that messengers from John the Baptist come to see Jesus. Now, I'm not saying this is exactly when it happened, but it would have been something like this, because Matthew records the same thing, and, and he records that when the messengers come, which would probably have been the same day or maybe the day before, they ask him, you know, we're here on behalf of John the Baptist, are you the Messiah? And Jesus answers, but then he goes into the sermon. And in that sermon in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, he says this, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know if that's the sermon that that woman heard. Maybe she was watching Jesus as he walked down the street and he healed some blind, deaf, lame, mute, crippled person who was lying there. And she saw his mercy and his grace poured out on that person. Maybe she was there when he was feeding 5,000 people and she was sitting in the back and no one had ever loved her or no one had ever cared for her. And all of a sudden, someone is just giving her food and preaching the words of eternal life. I don't know what it was. I don't know exactly when it was. But at some point, she understood the weight of her sin. And the work that Jesus was about to do on the cross. And she couldn't help but believe in him. She couldn't help but come to him and put her faith and her trust in him. And she knew it wasn't about what she could ever do. She couldn't perform enough good deeds. It was all about Jesus. And so Jesus in our lives, it's the same thing. In our pile of broken glass. And some of you today, your sin is not just a neat little pile of broken glass. But the effects of your sin have hurt lots of people around you. The shards of your broken glass have been kicked all over the place. And there's pain and hurt all over the place. Let me tell you, the scars of the sin are still hard. But with Jesus, what happens is he comes and he not only cleans it all up, he removes all of it, takes it all away. And he puts in its place the most perfect and amazing and unchanging relationship with our Heavenly Father again. And that comes through his work on the cross. It's only through Jesus. The response to the grace of God, it it has to be love. If you understand this, it has to be love. For this woman, it was love. She understood her sin and her need for her Savior, and she sees Jesus, and she knows that he is the one, and she can't help but weep over him. She can't help but come and worship him. She can't help but want to make life choices and decisions. I guarantee you, this woman left a changed person. She was not the same when she left. She was the the sinful woman in town when she came in. When she went out, she may have still been known by her sinful reputation, but her life was different. Her life was changed. On that note, forgive us, God, when we judge others for their past sin. And I've been in that place too, where you look at someone and harshly or not lovingly you sit back like the Pharisee and say, well, how could God really love them? How could God really love me? How could he love any of us? That's his grace. That's his mercy. That's poured out for us. That's his love. Brokenness loves grace. Desperation loves salvation. Think about it like this. If you went down to Lake, is it Lake Kelowna? Is that the name of the lake? local Okanagan? Sure, I don't know. I'm not from here. I'm sorry. Okay. So if you went down there today, and you were on some dock, and you saw someone, and they were out like 30 feet from shore, and they're like, help, they're drowning, right? It's freezing cold, and there is like a life jacket their size, and you grab it, and you throw it, and miraculously, it just like goes right on and buckles up. I guarantee that person is not going to be like popping it off, being like, no, thank you. I'm still drowning. They're not going to do that, right? Because if the person knows that they're in trouble and help comes along, they're going to grab onto it. This woman, she gets it. She understands that she needs help. She is broken over her sin. Her sin is a big deal. And so when the forgiveness and grace and love of Jesus is right there for her, she wants it. She doesn't push it away. Sadly, many of us lie to ourselves and tell ourselves, I'm not drowning. You know, I don't need Jesus today. I'm going to take off the vest today. No, we need him. And we do this when we're sharing the gospel with people. Hey, you want a life jacket? What for? Well, you need it. Why? Because God loves you. Okay. People are drowning all over our world in their sin. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've received the gift of salvation. You've received the life-saving vest of the work of Jesus Christ. Offer it to other people. But they're not going to take it if they don't know that they're drowning. When we share the gospel, we have to be honest. We have to be upfront about this. People need to know, I need to know how dependent I am all the time on God. I need to be constantly growing in a brokenness over my sin, hating my sin. So, my question for you then today, and my question for me again and again is Am I loving God like someone who's been forgiven much? Do I understand how much I've been forgiven and is it changing the way that I act and live and interact with the people around me? I wrote down five things that I saw in this woman's life and I'm, I'm hesitant to share them with you right now because I would hate for you to go out of here and be like, okay, those are the five things that I need to do to go. They're heart things. You can't go and do these and then God would be somehow pleased with you. Then you're just being a Pharisee. But if you're like, God, I want you to change my heart. I want you to work in me. These would be five things for you to pray that, God, would you please do these things in my life? And maybe they're five things for you to look at and say, God has been doing those things in my life. And you can rejoice in what God is doing. These are five things that I saw from this woman. The first one, it's pretty obvious. It's just that she was broken. She was broken over her sin. And this wasn't just like a she felt bad about what she did. This was an honest Uh, 2 Corinthians 7.10, kind of godly grief that leads to repentance. She was turning from it. She did not want to have any part to do with what she had been formerly doing anymore. She's broken over that sin. The second thing I wrote down was that she had humility. God offers mercy and grace and delights in giving forgiveness. Simon, he's sitting back in his pride thinking that he's perfect. I don't need no help. I'm good. God delights in those who come to him. Think about this woman too, the humility that she would have had to have to walk into this room of all of the like religious leaders in town and come, think about like the sideways glances, the whispers as she came in the room. Hey, there's, she's the sinful woman. You know, she, all the shame and guilt and weight of all the things that she'd done coming, pouring and rushing back on her, but she doesn't think about those things. All she wants to do is come to Jesus. Come to him and worship him in her humility. Humility, and then thirdly, I wrote down sincerity. This woman was sincere. You, you can't fake that kind of crying as she comes and she weeps over the feet of Jesus. That word that, that Luke uses there is a Greek word that means to rain, like a, this pouring, torrential downpour of tears, and not just out of feeling bad for her sin, but of love for her Savior. She's sincere about her love for her Savior. Fourthly, I wrote down she was thankful She was thankful. She goes through all of this because she's thankful for Jesus. Are you thankful for Jesus? Am I growing in an increasing thankfulness for Jesus? And then the last thing I wrote down that we see from this woman is peace. Look in verse 50 with me really quickly as we end. Jesus says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, if you like to write things in your Bible beside the word faith, I'd put a little number one beside saved and a little number two and beside peace, a little number three. Because This is the order that Jesus is doing these things. Her faith has saved her and now she has peace. If you want peace with God, it starts with faith in Him. Faith in Him that saves and that salvation brings peace. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's peace. 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. There's peace. There's a new life that is in Christ. There's a new life that comes, but the old life has to be getting rid of. And we need to be broken over it. We need to be moving past it, saying, I don't want to have any part of that in my life anymore. Pride doesn't see much need for the work of Jesus. Brokenness, though, understanding our sin and the work of Jesus comes to him and worships him. So maybe you're here today and this whole thought of you not being completely perfect or you know, in an exactly right relationship with God is, is something kind of new to you. Jesus says if you can, or it says in First John, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive your sin. And you can, you can be saved today. You can receive peace. You can receive the grace and the mercy of God. You can be like this woman and you can be forgiven much. And I would encourage you in that to do that and come to him and say, yes, Lord, please, because we all need it. And if you're here today and you have done that and you have received faith or salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, then I would encourage you to be thankful and to not walk out of here thinking that you're amazing, but thinking that your God who loves you is more and more amazing because you and I are completely dependent on him. It is him who does all of this. It is him who has sent his son, Jesus Christ, in love. It is him who has, through his son, forgiven you much. Lord, we need you. God, we need you, and, and we're going to sing that in just a second. And so uh, will you just bow your heads with me as I pray, and then we'll we'll sing the song as a prayer. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have uh, taught us about our need uh, for you. Lord, you have uh, revealed that. You have shown that, Lord. And I pray, God, that this morning, um, as you are doing in my heart in ever-increasing measure, showing me my utter need for you and my complete inability to please you on my own. Lord, how desperate I am for you. God, you would please do that in the lives and the hearts of the people in this room right now. Oh, Lord, we need you. We cannot live pleasing to you on our own. It's only through you that that happens. And so, God, I pray that you would cause our hearts to believe that and cause our hearts to be different, to be different in our love and our thankfulness for you. God, we need you. We thank you for your grace and for your love and for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can be forgiven much, Lord. Forgive us for thinking that we don't have much to be forgiven of. I thank you, God, for your perfect work on the cross, Lord, your saving work, Lord, that forgives us all that we need. In Jesus' name, amen.